runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the weekly internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number 32 with guest Jeremy Moskowitz, recorded Thursday, October 18th, 2007. Run As Radio is produced each week by Plot Productions, offering professional media and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Hi, this is Richard Campbell, and you're listening to Run As Radio. With me, as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes. Hi there, guys. Doing more of our amazing radio tricks. Now we're in Barcelona. Barcelona, Spain. Yes, we are here, and we are attending the IT Forum Week of TechEd Europe. And if you're listening to this on a Wednesday while in Barcelona, what are you doing? We'll keep. Listen on the on the airplane. Come and see us in person. Yeah, but if you're there, then yeah, definitely stop by and say hi. Uh, I'm sure we're having a good time, but now we're sort of done. When this Barcelona trip is over, we're actually done through the end of the new year. Yeah, then we'll be uh, sort of sitting at home and occasionally doing the uh, the weekly show and keeping those going. But uh, it would probably be nice to slow down for a little bit, especially for you. I know you've been uh, across the pond, as they say, several times, even just in the last few months. Yeah, it's been a very frantic uh, fall and winter for me. So I'm looking forward to staying home for a little while. And uh, I'm betting we're getting a stack of shows while we're in Barcelona. So we'll uh, we'll be free for a bit. Well, there's an awful lot of really cool stuff coming up. We have, you know, obviously the this year's release of Vista. We have the upcoming release of Windows Server 2008. A lot of really cool stuff up and coming and an awful lot to talk about. And if we're not covering the topics you care about, send us an email, info at runasradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you'd like to see. Yes, your ideas and your suggestions and your thoughts are a big part of what drive the things that we talk about and the people that we ask to come and inform you. All right, Greg. Let me introduce to you Jeremy Moskowitz. Jeremy Moskowitz is a group policy MVP who runs Moskowitz Incorporated, a company specializing in Microsoft consulting and education. Since becoming one of the world's first MCSEs in Windows NT and Windows 2000, Jeremy has performed active directory, group policy, and Windows management planning and implementation for some of the world's largest organizations. He's also been seen at some of the largest conferences, including Microsoft TechEd, Microsoft MMS, MCP Magazine's Tech Mentor, and Windows Connections. He is a noted author of multiple books on Windows. His most popular book is Group Policy, Management, Troubleshooting, and Security, and it's the flagship title in the Mark Manassi Windows Administration series. He also has a book about Windows and Linux integration, and that's entitled Windows and Linux Integration, Hands-On Solutions for a Mixed Environment. Uh, Jeremy runs gpanswers.com and winlinanswers.com, two websites to help people get tough group policy and Windows Linux questions answered. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, thanks for having me. So I have not breached the topic of group policy on Run As Radio yet. It's a huge topic, and I think it's one that's often not well known. So I wanted to start at the beginning, and I figured you're the guy to get us started on this topic. Well, you know, that's the thing. Most, a lot of people, I get this from a lot of people. They're like, you know, I think I need to start using group policy. And then they, uh, what they may not know is that they're already using group policy. That's right. Does permeate everything, right? Well, not only does it permeate everything, but some people think that, you know, I'll hold off using it until later. You're already using it. That's the thing is that every Windows administrator who has an Active Directory is already using it. There are two 
default group policy objects out there already working for you, you know, to best utilize the system you've already invested in. That's what group policy is all about. Uh, in fact, sometimes I get the question of, you know, Moskowitz, why do you care so much about group policy? Why, like, why is this your forte? Uh, and the answer for me is like a hundred years ago when people were getting started dealing with, uh, Active Directory and they were trying to migrate from NT40 to say Windows 2000 at the time, uh, people were on the whiteboard drawing circles and arrows and figuring out migration and how are we going to get there and what's our path and what's our roadmap? And I was thinking, well, what's our destination? Like what happens after we're here? And group policy is what you do with Active Directory once you have it. Once it's already in place. So really, once you've gone through the pain of an Active Directory migration, you're really not getting the reward unless you take advantage of group policy. Well said. And, and that's the thing. Most people have, in fact, gotten, you know, you, know, you raise, uh, you ask people to raise their hand in an audience of how many people have Active Directory. You know, 99% of the hands go up. One guy still has uh, Novell Netware, and one guy actually still has Banyan Vines. And, <laughs> We're happy with that guy. But the point of the story is that most people still have Active Directory and maybe some NT40 laying around. That's totally fine. And they've already gotten, they've, they're at the point now where there's no reason at all not to take advantage of this Active Directory they paid for. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, they've invested. Let's make use of the, uh, of the Ferrari they now have. Right. You've set up a Windows domain for logins and stuff. You have an Active Directory and by, by the virtue of that, you have group policy in place, whether you know it or not. So maybe using group policy really means taking advantage of the tools that group policy and the controls that group policy allows me to exert. So why should people be leveraging the capabilities of group policy? Well, for me, I the reason I love group policy is that it's got so much power and it's in the box and it's free. In other words, you've already paid for it. There are lots of other opportunities for third-party tools and add-on tools that have great power, too. That's not in debate. But the stuff that group policy gives you in the box for free is a humongous array of, uh, of control. So group policy deals with – there's actually uh, 13 categories of group policy. We're not going to go into all of them. Don't worry. I'm not going to bore anybody to death. But <laughs> the, the kinds of things that people get really excited about are – you know, I can walk up to 100 people and I say, did you know that in the box you can use group policy and Active Directory to deploy your applications to your target machines? They're like, right. let me get this straight. I have a way to actually, you know, push ostensibly uh, applications to my users and computers? Absolutely. And it's been in the box since the dawn of time. Now, it's not super crazy easy to use, but did I mention it's free? And because it's in the box, you know, you now have this incredible ability to push applications and dictate the... Uh, control delete settings and control panel settings and all those touchy-feely settings you like. And the real big one, the real reason that I try to get people, you know, jazzed up about group policy is here's a truism. If you don't know group policy, you don't know security. Absolutely. Let me say that again. If you don't know group policy, you don't know security. And here's why. Um, if you, you may know like every RFC and you may be a super propeller head and you might know bit level stuff, but if you don't know when that thing is supposed to apply, who it applies to, how it's filtered, and how to configure it. And of course, you're going to be doing that using group policy because you don't want to run around to every single machine. Group policy knowledge is the fundamental gateway toward being a good security administrator. I think that's a great point. It's an important point to make is is using and leveraging group policy, workable, powerful tools in order to put security controls in place is, if for no other reason, 
that is the number one reason to really leverage group policy on a Windows environment. All right, Jeremy, what is group policy really? Now that we know it's great, what is it? Well, so I meet a lot of people at parties, and uh, I have to tell them I'm a group policy guy, and I have to try to explain it. Like, I ask them, what you know, what do you do? And they say, oh, I'm an accountant. That's easy. You kind of know what an accountant is. But when people ask me, what does a group policy guy do? gets a little fuzzier. So without getting too technical, let's sort of take the untechnical approach first, and we'll go technical second. So the technical, uh, the untechnical approach is that group policy enables you to get this, make a wish on your servers, and have your other servers, users, and computers embrace that wish. So group policy is really two halves. It's something you do uh, on your management station. It's something that's stored on an active directory. And then the client, the target machine, picks up that wish and does the dirty work for you. So the idea is that let's say you wanted to kill the control panel for all of, say, the sales guys. Well, that's great. Do you, you want to run around to every single sales computer and uh, make that change happen? Of course not. That would take you 900 years and lose your whole weekend. What you want to do is create a group policy, get it over to where the sales guys are in Active Directory. The phrase that we use in group policy land is called linking that group policy. As soon as that thing is linked, the next time those users check in, uh, and they do that every so often, they check in to see if there's any new instructions, it will automatically embrace your changes. So instead of you working for the network, the network is now working for you. So this is not just at login, but periodically, even if you are logged in, it'll actually go pick those those rule changes up. That's right. There are some exceptions, but by and large, the idea is that every 90 minutes or so, the client says, hey, buddy, you got anything new for me? And if the answer is yes, it will automatically download and embrace those changes. And that actually brings up an interesting technical point, is that group policy is never pushed. Group policy is is always pulled from the client, which is actually an interesting technical bit. So, so even though we were just talking about pushing applications out, it's not really pushed. The machine does ask for it. That's right. So and the machine does that. In fact, that is one of those exceptions. The machine will only ask for it at either computer startup time or the next time the user logs on, depending on how the app is configured. Um, where is group policy? Um, well, group. it's interesting. Like I said, group policy is sort of a, a multi-headed beast. Um, group policy is in multiple places, uh, depending on how you look at it. It could, it could, the answer to that could be it's, it's a moving part inside Active Directory and also a part on every single client that you have out there from Windows 2000 and above. So like I said, group policy is sort of two things. It's storage of your wishes and then the implementation of your wishes. Right. And so the storage happens inside Active Directory and the implementation happens on your client machine. Now, the other half of the equation is, how do I actually get to the group policy editor stuff, right? So that's a longer answer. The the, the medium-sized version is that there's a wonderful free downloadable tool from Microsoft called the GPMC, or the Group Policy Management Console. You can get that at uh, Microsoft.com slash group policy. That's all one word. And download the GPMC. And um, once you have that uh, that tool, you'll be able to create link, and edit group policy objects for certain areas of your Active Directory. Um, it's interesting that Microsoft didn't ship this group policy editor with Windows. Why do we have to download it separately? Shouldn't it just be in the box? Well, it's funny you should mention that. Um, it actually has a long and sorted history of which <laughs> I, I had a personal role in. Uh, uh, I was asked by Microsoft if that is something that they should potentially do. And there are multiple philosophies on this. Philosophy number one is if it ships in the box and then there's an upgrade, 
that might mean we'd have to wait for a service pack or a whole operating system revision to get that upgrade. And that right. might not be so right. good because the group policy team is a bunch of really smart people. And if they come up with something new, should we have to wait for that update? That's problem number one. The other half of the equation is the GPNC feels so much like the operating system that, boy, howdy, it feels like it should be part of the uh, part of the operating system. Right. So it's interesting you should say that. So here's the, the longer version of the story is it's not built in to any operating system except for, get this, it is built into Vista and the new um, Server 2008 machine. But wait, right. there's more. Remember that whole idea that uh, what if they come up with an update? How are we going to handle that? So... This is very interesting. Vista Service Pack 1 will uninstall the built-in GPMC that comes in Vista. (laughs) I love that. But think about it. That way, they went back to the original philosophy. It was was the, we wanted to make sure that anybody could get an update if an update was available. And that's exactly what they're doing. But you you suddenly realize that Microsoft doesn't agree with itself sometimes. I mean, obviously, somebody managed to push to put that into Vista, and somebody else has now managed to push to take it back out. That's right. So I have a whole blog entry about this at gpanswers.com forward slash blog for those anybody who wants to get more about my philosophy about this. For the IT worker, the guy that's, you know, the guys and gals that are running running the networks, running the Active Directory domains. What's the uh, the term I seem to use repeatedly is low-hanging fruit. What What's the stuff, what are the problems that they can solve using, by really leveraging group policy? Maybe we can be specific, you know. Uh, what's the carrot that we can hang out there for the IT pro uh, that will really tempt them into using group policy? As soon as you said that, like nine or ten things came to mind. It's going to be hard for me to sort of put my hat on just one my humblest suggestion for the people who are just getting started with group policy would be, for the love of Pete, don't go bananas. There are 2,400 policy settings available to you um, in uh, in Vista. Uh, what that means is that you're going to feel like a kid in a candy store when you really get started with this thing. So don't feel like you should start turning everything on. That's not the right approach. The right approach is to, what I tell people in my training classes, is look to the wish trying to figure out precisely what the business case is. For instance, and this is something very you know generic that we can hang our hats on, like let's say you have different divisions, doctors, nurses, sales, research, whatever, and you wanted to give each one of those people their own custom desktop background so that way whenever they logged on to any machine, they kind of knew that they were authenticated and that they had the group policy and that they had the, the, the background. That's pretty neat. That's like a neat little trick just to say if I'm logged on, then I have my particular desktop background that shows that I'm in research or something. Now, that is not particularly hard to do, but it's a really good sort of like flexing your muscles case of of group policy. Uh, The next thing I might consider that people might want to do is to sort of start locking down some of the user interface attributes that some people aren't using. Um, not, Not everybody is qualified to go into control panel, if you know what I mean. So maybe we can lock those things out. Uh, And then finally... There's also lots of additional ways to configure, uh, for instance, um, Office. Uh, Office is one of those big deals that uh, doesn't get a lot of airtime in terms of the configuration using group policy. You can, uh, I go over this in, um, I go over this in the book and in lots of other areas on GPAnswers.com. But the idea is that you can download and integrate these things called ADM or ADMX files for Office 2000, 2003, and 2007. That says, wherever Sally goes, and Sally's a nurse, she'll always get the following configuration for Office 2003. 
That's incredibly powerful to say wherever a user goes, they're guaranteed specific application settings. That's really, really neat. And that's what group policy is all about. Yeah, so if I don't want to be in the, uh, the uh, what they call that reader mode every time that I open up Microsoft Word, there's a group policy that if I decide across our organization that we just don't want that, I can set that policy, for example. Right, or, or set the spelling color or, you know, always force a grammar check or whatever. There's plenty of opportunity to make that application work the way your users need it to work. Uh, so there's, like I said, plenty of opportunity to get started. Uh, I also love demonstrating the group policy software installation stuff. When I show that off to people, they're really, their jaws drop open, and that's very exciting for me. One is it? I always think about group policy around Windows security and network security. I don't think about it in terms of its impact on applications. Mm, indeed. Yeah, that's the thing. Is uh, And just the numbers of categories that group policy can do for... Um, for controlling the most major application of all, which, of course, is Explorer. That is an application. Right. Um, that's the way to think about it, is that, you know, group policy out of the box ships with, you know, about 1,800 settings, most of which affect Explorer, you know, the biggest application of them all. So, uh, you know, it's uh, security-based. It's application deployment. It's management of all your Windows Facets. Yeah, really, just general IT policies and controls around a wide variety of different applications. From a security standpoint, I remember uh, one organization uh, in beginning to leverage group policy uh, uh, deeper and deeper. And like some of the obvious things are uh, how long do the passwords have to be, how often do they expire, complexity, and things like that. And and use group policy to set those types of things. But we changed from the default. I don't even remember what it was. Number of days. Uh, the group policy specified and changed it to 42. And the reason being that's an even number of weeks. So if I change my password on a Wednesday, then, then, uh, you know, six weeks from now, it's going to be a Wednesday when my password expires. So there's an example of a help desk, uh, seeing a benefit, not getting after hours and weekend calls because people's passwords are expiring on Sunday afternoon. So there's a lot of little things and a lot of granular control that can be exercised and there's a lot of value that can be obtained. Yeah, you're hitting it right on the head. And uh, in all honesty, I think you could probably agree that some of the security ones have their own nuances. Uh, in other words, for instance, even things, uh, there's a security function called restricted groups. And restricted groups, uh, its main goal is to say uh, that uh, Fred, Sally, and Joan, those people can be a member of, say, the backup operators group uh, or, say, the local administrators group, but anybody who's currently in there is not. So, it, you know, it's, it's going to be kicked out and replaced. Now, it's a very powerful function, but it doesn't quite work the way some of the other ones do. And what I'm driving at is that uh, uh, group policy generally works uh, the way you expect, but sometimes you need a little extra guidance. Especially if you have policies that you're setting that may be competing with each other. Yes. In that case, I always say, look to the test lab. That's right. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of value in having, uh, even whether it's on virtual machines, real machines, or what have you, but a test environment to to really try these things out before you start pushing them out on your live network. So what does a test lab look like? Are we talking about needing to run a, a, a domain controller that's isolated from the rest of the network and then some workstations? Well, that's, you know, you bring up another good point. Um, I do have a whole advanced lecture on uh, test lab best practices. Uh, I'll, I'll jump to the end of the story and say, no, it does not need to be a, a, a super powerful, you know, giant lab. It's, uh, and there are, in fact, advanced techniques to uh, get this. This is kind of neat. I teach in the advanced class how to basically do what, what equates to 
a WinZip of your Active Directory in production and bring it into your test lab. So the right. idea is that once you have sort of like a photocopy of your test lab, of your real world in the test lab, you can then start testing out each of the group policy settings that you want to check out. And then once you have that GPO, again, this is going to blow your mind, you don't have to recreate the wheel. You can actually um, take it on a USB stick or a CD-ROM and then get it back into the real world without actually having to recreate it. So there's, there are some advanced kind of manipulations to really take incredible use of a test lab to make sure you're not going to shoot yourself in the in the foot in the real world. Uh, you don't want to have a GPO out there that um, will affect a whole gaggle of users and then just anybody can use it. You want to make sure that it does exactly what you want in the test lab, then get it into the real world when you're ready. Now, let's just be really clear. Why don't you go ahead and define GPO since we're getting into acronym world here so that everybody is really clear. Sure. Well, the two phrases that I definitely want to clear up are GPO, which stands for Group Policy Object, and another thing called a policy setting. And the idea behind a group policy object, it's sort of like a new Word document, right? When you, when you click new in Word, you haven't done very much. You just have a new blank page, whole lot of nothing set. You haven't done anything, really. The thing that you're going to actually the thing that's actually doing the work for you is the policy setting, like kill the control panel, display the, you know, don't show the last logged in user, that sort of stuff. Each one of those line items is called a policy setting. So a group policy object contains policy settings. So the object is the file that you can export and import and stick on that USB key and take to your lab, and the settings are all the values that are contained within the object. More or less, yes. So would you ever have more than one group policy object? Sure. In fact, let's uh, say you had different gaggles of users. You had sales, marketing, and research. Well, they're not going to act the same as each other, right? So sales is going to act one way, marketing another way, and research quite another way. So your goal as an administrator, as an Active Directory administrator, is to learn how those guys do their job and then craft your corporate policy into group policy. So, for instance, your corporate policy says no one in the world can get to control panel except for researchers. Well, great. You can do that using group policy. That's exactly what it's meant for. It's meant to enforce your corporate edicts based on who people are. Now, you can apply policies to people or to computers or classifications thereof. Maybe you can describe how that works. Sure. In fact, uh, the big misnomer out there is uh, why the heck is it called group policy at all? Because as you very specifically uh, described, group policy only affects two categories of things in the whole world, users or computers. And those users or computers can only be in one of three locations, that's sites, domains, or OUs. So notice how I didn't say the word group there, which gets nice and confusing because our, our thing here is called group policy. Right, so you, right. don't, you don't round up an NT-style group or an Active Directory-style group of nurses and then somehow force-feed them the kill-the-control panel edict. It just doesn't work that way. What you need to do is round up those nurses, put them in an OU, create the GPO, and the phrase that pays is link them. You link that GPO over to the nurse's OU that contains that user account. So I have an organizational unit or an OU with the nurses, and now on that OU, think of it as a container that maybe you know contains different machines and or people accounts. Mm-hmm. Now I can set group policy at that organizational unit or OU level? That's right. So the way I like to explain it is that group policy objects, they don't live at the level that they're being used at. Group policy objects live in what I like to call the group policy object swimming pool. So the idea is that they're all sitting in the swimming pool waiting to be used. 
If you want to use it at, say, let's say you had an edict called kill the control panel. Great. Well, by the, it, its whole life, it lives in the swimming pool. To utilize it over sales and marketing, you're going to link that GPO from the swimming pool over to both sales and to marketing. But when you say sales and marketing, you're not meaning sales and marketing groups, but sales and marketing organizational units. That's right. And those, you know, uh, organizational units are meant for an active directory administrator to craft, um, you know, the experience for their users. It's exactly what they're meant for. They're meant to organize their user and computer population. Right. Now, it sounds like you could really build up an awful lot of uh, policies, OUs, files, we end up with some performance problems eventually if we if we really go crazy with this stuff. What well, what about you know, it's, uh, what about that? There's there's some debate on that. Um, I have done some performance testing of group policy, and I can pretty much tell you that under most circumstances, it's really hard to bog down the group policy engine. Without getting too uh, geeky and technical into it, uh, group policy used to get a bad rap. Um, uh, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like somebody who who was bad as a kid. And then when they grow up, people sort of still eyeball them wrong. So during beta of uh, Windows uh, 2000, group policy was uh, kind of to blame for slowdowns. But what people weren't realizing was it wasn't group policy that was causing the slowdown. No, no, no. It was the thing that group policy was doing that was causing the slowdown. Right, an example. of course. Right. So, so here's the deal, right? Let's say you can do, by the way, log on, uh, log on, log off. Startup and start and shutdown scripts are all available using group policy. It's one of the 13 categories of group policy. So let's say you had a logon script that um, I don't know. Let's go. So let's go crazy. It reacles every single file on the hard drive. Clearly, you'd never want to do that with a logon script. But you could also uh, you could also do that um, by hand, right? You could you could have some kind of batch file that would do the same thing. Now the point of the story is that how long would each one of these things take? Well, they would take exactly the same amount of time. But who gets the bad rap? Well, group policy gets the bad rap because it's executing these 13 things that you are asking it to do. So uh, in this particular case, I ask you to don't blame the messenger, blame the message. I know in the one the one area that I've heard, and I've actually heard Microsoft um, recommend, um, that you're just careful about how much policy, how much, it really comes down to uh, replication across the network and how often you're pushing how much data across and how often it needs to be updated on the machines. That's maybe that's the one area where, you know, performance uh, on the, at the domain level could, could potentially be impacted. So thinking carefully about that could, could easily, you could easily, easily mitigate that type of a problem as well. Well, you're, you're right. In, in the largest of environments, there can be a situation. Let's say you're our, um, you are a large airplane manufacturing company that shall rename nameless. Let's say you are that company, okay? And you have 80 gabillion GPOs because you're huge. And you've got 80 million sites. Okay, well, think about that. Every time you create a GPO, it's got to be replicated all over the universe. Hmm, well, that can potentially be a problem. Um, so it turns out Microsoft knows about this problem, and they've mitigated it using some new technology that's built into Vista and... Um, uh, Server 2008, and the idea is that instead of having big fat GPOs that contain um, editable contents, what they do is they have these thinner, leaner GPOs and have the editable contents stored centrally in one place. So they wow. thought they thought that through. So new GPOs, if created properly, will be thinner and trimmer and won't have to go through. And even though you have to replicate them everywhere, they're going to be a lot thinner. 
right? So you're replicating the delta as opposed to the whole thing over and over again. Um, well, it's not precisely a delta. It's a matter of that that the actual editable contents, which is uh, these these files called ADM files, gotcha. that stuff is not stored inside the group policy object anymore inside of Active Directory ah. at the file level. That stuff is is only stored, if you want to, centrally in one place or on the local machine. So basically, they've taken away. They've taken away. It used to be where every single GPO that was created took four megabytes of goo. So every time you created a new GPO, you basically burned four megabytes of goo on every domain controller. Let's say you had a hundred right. domain controllers, you just burned four hundred megs out there. So right. the idea is that they've they've come up with uh, this interesting way called the central store to sort of reduce that overhead of what's actually inside the file-based portion of a group policy object. That sounds pretty cool. So Microsoft yeah. uh, on TechNet has a, bun- has a whole group policy uh, site, and they talk about all these templates. What exactly is in the templates? Right. That's the editable contents of what I was describing. So the idea is that a template, an ADM or an ADMX template, is simply a definition of what's possible to to uh, manipulate in group policy land. So think about it. Let's take, let's take it back to the 50-yard line. So we have a wish, and the wish is to kill the control panel. Well, let's take it back even further. What's, what's the program that needs to embrace that wish? Well, like I said, the biggest program out there is Explorer. So that means we need to have a definition for Explorer and how to kill the control panel. So how do we do that? Well, we have to, we got to know what registry punch that is. Okay, great. Now we know what the registry punch is, and we need to then put that registry punch in a file for us to then edit to then say, go do it. That is the ADM file. And the newer technology is called ADMX, which isn't incredibly, quote, different in what it's capable of, except for the fact that it's XML. That's basically an apples to apples of what it can do. Okay. And that's why we have ADMXs for Office 2007, for example, because that's really just telling you what you can do with it, with Office 2007. That's right. So Office 2007 has, you know, eight zillion entries you can possibly uh, manipulate. Somebody really smart in Microsoft said, great, how do I make the spelling color orange? Well, that means that if I click this, if I change this registry value, I guarantee the spelling color is going to be orange. Fine. So then they, they coded that into a definition file called an ADM or an ADMX file and make it available for you. All right. I'm coming up on the end of a half hour here, and I think we've sort of gone around in a circle on group policy. What have we missed? What do the, the guys starting out with group policy need to know? Well, when most people ask me what kind of resources are there for my assistance, um, because if you, it's, like, it's like learning to ride a motorcycle. Actually, better analogy than that is, have you ever walked into a casino and you've seen everybody having fun at the craps table? Right. Right. And you want to, and you really want to learn crafts, but you don't have time to sort of like, you know, you could stand there and watch people play. It's still really hard to pick up the game that way. Yes. But then after somebody explains, well, these, these numbers are important because of this. The puck does this thing. The chips are very important because that's how you get paid. And this is how you know you're going to get paid because the, the, uh, the dealer is putting those chips in a very specific place. So once somebody explains to you the ins and outs of how group policy works, you're going to be more confident in wanting to do more group policy in the first place. It's a very self-fulfilling thing. You need to get more confident in group policy to be able to do group policy. Because, again, if we think about it, the group policy editor in and of itself is like the biggest registry editor on the planet. Right. You make, you make one false step, 
bam, everybody in the entire domain is now affected by that. That, my friend, would be a CLM or career-limiting move. So you have to be particularly careful with this. And it's not to say that you shouldn't use it. Of course, I obviously, I encourage everybody to experiment and learn and grow with it. On the other hand, though, you really need a friend, and that's where my site, GP Answers, is all about. We have newsletters, community forums. Um, I do intensive group policy training and workshop classes, and we do advanced classes, and we do XP to Vista catch-up classes. So basically, when you're ready for group policy, I'm ready for you. Cool. All right. One last question, and we'll wrap it up. At the beginning of the show, you said everybody's using two policies, whether they know it or not. What are those two policies? Sure. So one policy is called the default domain policy. So in Windows 2003, it is this is a truism. In Windows 2003, if you want five character passwords for your domain and I want seven character passwords for my domain, we have a problem. Because in that particular case, for Windows 2003 domains, you can only have what's called one password policy per domain. With that in mind, if you can only have one password policy per domain and that my friend, is stored in one of those defaults. If that's the case, well, we're going to have to have two two, um, two domains in order right. to make our business case happen. Now, good news. Let's jump to the end of the story. That is no longer a requirement in Server 2008, but that's another topic for another day. And then the other one is the default domain controller's policy. Let's think about this for a second. You want to make sure that whenever Sally authenticates to your domain, she gets an event log logged on every domain controller. Okay, that's cool. That makes sense. You don't want her to authenticate to domain controller 3 and get an event log, but she doesn't get an entry when she logs on to domain controller 4. That doesn't make sense. So the default domain controller's policy is all about making sure all the domain controllers act the same way. And and it works for you, too, the administrator. You don't want to be able to walk up to the console on 3 and be able to log on, but not be able to log on to the console on 4. Right. So it works for you in that capacity as well. So those are the two defaults. You're already using them. If you've ever set domain-based password policies, you, my friend, are a group policy administrator. Whether you knew it or not. Yeah, whether you knew it or not. All right, Jeremy, that was a lot of fun. I didn't think group policy was that interesting. Well, that's the <laughs> people ask me this all the time. Why'd you get into it? Because it's got so it's a rich technology. And it's only getting richer. I, uh, I Really, we're going to need another session to go over all the new stuff that's coming out. I, I know we just sort of <laughs> in touched the introduction. Uh, there's so much great new stuff around the bend, including new stuff that's already out with Vista, new stuff that's going to be out by the time uh, uh, Windows Server 2008 ships. And, um, wow, and I just have, I will have even more stuff to talk about uh, right around the bend. So I definitely hope we can set up another session as well. I bet we'll revisit this topic sometime soon. There's lots more to talk about. We'll look forward to doing that. One of the most, probably one of the most underutilized and important capabilities in Windows, and definitely be interested to find out what 2008 has to offer. I'm here for you guys. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 